Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins, a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and sacred scriptures, along with information on topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will interview Father Michael Balish on Holy Week. We will also look at the life of St. Vincent Ferrer, as well as reflections on the readings for this Palm Sunday, Passion of the Lord. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our Bishop's Corner, we will welcome Cindy Case, who will talk about social media. Joining me now is Cindy Case, who is a social media minister for the Diocese of Youngstown. Welcome to Wineskin. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, Cindy, you were the familiar person for decades here in the diocese as the youth and young adult minister, and you've transitioned into this social media minister, which, good or bad, is a wonderful job for you right now because I think that was one of your gifts in working with young people and how they are so in tune with using social media. We want to talk now about how important using social media is for the life of the church, and it's a ministry. Why is it so important for us to use it as a ministry? Well, when Bishop Bonner decided to create this position only a few weeks after he came to this diocese, he was calling social media the front door to the church. It's an opportunity to be reaching out to some people who have never been to church or have been away, as well as those who are active, to let them know what good things are happening around Northeast Ohio, to remind them of the good news of the gospel, to help connect them to resources and activities that are going on. So we use six platforms currently in the diocese to help do those things and connect folks and We get many likes and shares, and sometimes people interact, and we receive many messages with questions. Some folks who might need counseling or need things that Catholic Charities can help with, and sometimes just as simple as, you know, where can I find times to go to confession? Or where can my young person get involved in a parish? So it's very rewarding to know that we're helping people, even if I don't see them face to face. How do we keep social media in a positive light? You know, sometimes when we listen to things on the news or we read about social media, it gets a bad rap sometimes. How and why is it important to lift up the good part of it all? Well, again, you don't know who is reading anything or seeing what you put out there. So if you want to spread the light of Christ, you want to share the good news of the gospel, then that's what you need to be posting, and that's what you need to be sharing. Mm -hmm. I recently was giving a presentation at a parish, and I was talking with folks about evangelization Mm -hmm. as a tool that you can use social media for, and I said the basic thing, please post positive posts. You know, whether it's uplifting scripture, whether it's non-offensive humor, Mm -hmm. whether it's just a have a great day type of a post, we don't know who that might positively impact. We have so many people who are hurting or angry or going through difficult times that when they open up their phone or their computer or their tablet, if they can see something that's uplifting, that might help their day. So if we could put more of that out there into the world, I think that's already living as missionary disciples. There are some people who see social media as not as a positive thing. Mm, It's not always a positive thing. It isn't, you know, and for us in the church to 
remind ourselves that we use this gift from God in a positive way to mm-hmm. build up people and not to tear people down. Mm-hmm. That would be fundamental for us to capture that. But for the folks that are with us, if they're fearful of social media, what can you do or say to help assuage their, their fears and anxieties about it? Well, first of all, and this might not be popular, but not everyone has to be on social media. We all have different personalities and different ways that we like to communicate with the world. So probably people wouldn't expect that I'm not saying you have to get on Facebook or you have to get on Instagram. However, for those who are, there, again, are so many positive things you can add. There are many groups and persons, pontifacts on Twitter is the Holy Father, and they tweet daily about his messages, his audiences, sometimes just random thoughts he has for the day. Those are not always uplifting because he addresses when horrible things are happening in the world and that we need to pray for them, but he also has very uplifting things, so that's someone that you might want to follow. The U.S. bishops, of course, our diocesan platforms. Many of our parishes and schools have social media accounts that are good to keep up on the news and to see some of those positive things that are out there. And again, if you can contribute to that, it's great. And I know a lot of older people that may have gotten on originally just to be able to see pictures of their grandchildren, many people who have reconnected with high school friends, family all around the country or around the world, and those can all be positive things. What would be the challenge for all of us in social media? Do not get dragged into the negative. I think that that is so difficult because it's such an easy place to think you're somewhat anonymous and just kind of go off negatively on something. And you can see that if you visit some of the Catholic magazines, Catholic newspapers, and other posts where people just start sometimes overreacting. Don't get drug into that. Stop reading the post, move on to something else. Don't post for yourself because it just will make you more negative and that's not gonna be helpful in the long run. Good advice. Cindy Case, Social Media Minister for the Diocese of Youngstown, thank you for what you do for keeping that positive approach and positiveness about social media in front of us. And thank you for using those gifts from God to build up his kingdom and to give him honor and glory. My honor, thank you. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. The church celebrates a feast of St. Vincent Ferrer on April 5th. To tell us more is Sister Eva Coulter. She is an oblate sister of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The zealous Dominican preacher, Vincent Ferrer, lived in one of the most turbulent periods in the history of the church. It was the time of the Western Schism and the residence of the Pope at Avignon, France. Vincent was born in Spain and entered the Dominicans at the age of 15 and was ordained a priest in the year 1378. All his life, he felt he was called to carry the gospel, not only to Christians, but to Jews, the Muslims, and the heretical groups of the time. He was called to Avignon to serve as the official theologian of Pope Benedict XIII, as well as his confessor. St. Vincent preached not only in Spain and France, but also in Italy, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. He was reputed to receive the gifts of tongues and was renowned as a healer. During a preaching mission at Lyons, France in 1404, he organized a number of people who accepted his preaching and followed him wherever he preached. 
they were called the penitents. They dressed in black and white colors of the Dominican habit and carried a staff of a pilgrim. The high point of St. Vincent's preaching mission was between the years 1412 and 1419. He died in France while on a preaching mission in which he tried to put an end to the Hundred Years' War between France and England. He was canonized in 1455 and is highly venerated to this day not only in Spain and Latin America, but also the Philippines. He urged his hearers to perform acts of repentance in view of the final days, a practice that is still relevant today. Vincent called himself Christ Leggett and believed that the Blessed Virgin had obtained from her divine son assurance that the world would exist until the missions of St. Dominic and St. Francis of Assisi would be complete. Many consider him the second John the Baptist, preaching penance and conversion. St. Vincent's sermons on the coming of the Angel of the Apocalypse made a strong impression in the days of schism and moral decadence. In fact, up to present time, the artists in Spain portray St. Vincent with the wings of the Angel of the Apocalypse. His preaching was accompanied by numerous miracles and prophecies. St. Vincent's counsel is applicable today, especially with the following statement. Each sinner in your congregation should feel moved as though you were preaching to him alone. Your words should sound as if they were coming not from a proud, angry soul, but from a charitable and loving heart. For Wineskins, I'm Sister Eva Marie of the Oblate Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Joining me today is Father Michael Bollish, who is the Director of Worship for the Diocese of Youngstown. Welcome back to Wineskin. Thank you, Father Corda. You know, today is Palm Sunday, which begins holiest week of our Christian calendar, Holy Week. And we'd like to talk about that a little more in depth each of those days that we celebrate. But let's start with Palm Sunday. What's the significance of that beginning our Holy Week? Well, it's the, it's the first ceremony of Holy Week, as people will know well. What we recall on Palm Sunday is the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, the place where his passion and death took place. And so as a prelude to the celebrations of Holy Week, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, we start with Palm Sunday. The significance also is we, we distribute palms, much as the people back then when Jesus entered into the, into the town waved palm branches. We also do that as well. And I know that oftentimes in parishes, palm branches from the previous year are used or burnt sometimes for the ashes for Ash Wednesday. Is that normally the tradition? Yes, kind of helps bring the full cycle of Holy Week and Lent complete. And so some parishes will ask for the old palms, and then those will be burnt and used on Ash Wednesday the following year. Let's talk about the next ceremony that happens in most dioceses and all dioceses around the country, and that's the Chrism Mass. What's the significance of that? There's two main focuses of the Chrism Mass. One is the unity we have as a church. Everyone from the diocese gathers along with all of the priests of the diocese to celebrate our unity as a diocesan church. And so that's the one focus. At that Mass, the priests of the diocese renew their priestly vows of service and ministry to God's people. And then the second focus is the blessing and the distribution of the holy oils that are then used in the parishes throughout the year. We have three of those oils. One is the oil of the sick, 
which is then distributed to all the priests and parishes so that people can be anointed with the oil of the sick for that sacrament. The second oil is the oil of catechumens, which is used when the catechumens and infants are baptized. And then the third oil is the sacred chrism. That's the oil that's used at confirmation and at ordinations. We know that traditionally people from parishes are invited to participate in the chrism mass. Is there any specifications as to who can come or is it open to the public? It's open to the public. You know, during the pandemic, we had to limit seating and be a little bit more conscious of how we sat people in the cathedral, but we're back to normal. It's open to the public. Parishes are asked to send a delegation of between five and seven people along with our high schools. Again, with the hope that as many parishes that can be represented at the Chrism Mass are to help signify our diocesan unity as a church. Let's go now into Holy Thursday. Traditionally in our diocese, at least years ago, the Chrism Mass was celebrated on the morning of Holy Thursday, but it's been moved to Tuesday of this coming week. Is that typical in diocese? Yes, it can be moved to a different day. It has traditionally been held on Thursday, but what we found is to have that type of celebration in the morning and then to have a, the opening of the sacred triduum on Thursday night becomes a lot for the priest, a lot for ministers. So by having it on Tuesday, there's a little bit more space, and that way I think full attention and focus can be given to the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Thursday. And let's start with Holy Thursday in the Triduum. Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that the unique thing about Holy Triduum liturgy is that it's one liturgy that starts on Thursday, and it doesn't end till Saturday night. And so it spans three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The first part of the liturgy on Thursday night is Mass of the Lord's Supper, which we commemorate the institution of the Eucharist, as Christ instituted the Eucharist at the first Last Supper, and then also the symbolic gesture of the washing of feet, which is a reminder that all of us, because of our baptism, are called to serve one another. So just as Jesus washed the disciples' feet as a sign and an example of them that they needed to go out and serve, we do that also on Thursday night, again, to remind ourselves of the ministry that we all have as disciples. Is there any restriction on who can get their feet washed? Oftentimes, parishes ask that question. No, there's no restriction. Young, old, male, female. And let's go into Good Friday. Good Friday is the second part of the liturgy that started on Thursday. And this focus of the Good Friday liturgy is, again, the proclamation of the Passion, which we also read on Palm Sunday. The difference between the Passion on Palm Sunday and the Passion on Good Friday is Palm Sunday's Passions rotate between Matthew, Mark, and Luke each year. The Passion on Good Friday is always from the evangelist John. We read John's Passion to remind it of and to commemorate the crucifixion of Christ. We venerate the cross as a sign of our own crosses that we bear in life. And just as Christ suffered on the cross, we too are not immune to suffering and having pitfalls in our life that we need to carry with us. And then we receive Holy Communion. And let's go into the last day of the Triduum, and that's Holy Saturday. The Easter Vigil is the biggest part of the whole liturgy. It brings to fulfillment what we started on Thursday, what we continued on Friday, it comes to completion on Saturday night. It's the first Mass of Easter, and at that Mass, we first of all, we light the new fire 
and the Easter candles processed into church in darkness, again to reveal that Christ is the light of the world through his resurrection. We celebrate the Liturgy of the Word, which is, again, the first proclamation of the resurrection. We continue that liturgy with the part of initiation, and if you have catechumens, those who are entering the church through baptism and confirmation and Eucharist, they are initiated into the church. And then we also have candidates. Those are people who are baptized in another Christian faith but have desired to become Catholic. So they're also received into the church. And then we conclude it with Liturgy of the Eucharist, the celebration of Mass, which is the prime point of our faith. So it's a great celebration. I would encourage people, if they've never gone to the Easter Vigil, to give it a try. It can be lengthy, but it is also just the most meaningful and most profound celebration of Mass that we have each year. And let's conclude very briefly about Easter Sunday. Well, Easter Sunday is the celebration of the resurrection, and it starts the beginning of the Easter season, which is 50 days long, and it's the celebration of new life, the celebration of a new beginning, and our hope for eternal life. And what is nice about Easter is in our hemisphere, it also coincides with springtime. And so usually as we are celebrating new life inside the church, new life is happening outside with the blossoming of flowers and trees. Well, Father Michael Bollish, Director of Worship for the Diocese, thank you so much for being with us and sharing those thoughts on Holy Week. And we wish the folks that are with us a blessed Holy Week, fulfilling their hearts and desires to get closer to God, especially through the Holy Triduum and also celebrating on Easter Sunday. So thank you. Thank you. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www catholicecho.org Stay with us. We'll be right back. By the time we can walk, each of us yearns for the joy that comes from being able to do for ourselves. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Church World Service. The song we have for you today is from the CD called Glory in the Cross. It is by Dan Schutte.
as all was meant to be. You shall see me lifted up upon a tree. And to tell us about the scriptures for this Palm Sunday Passion of the Lord is Sister Mary McCormick. She is the Major Superior of the Ursuline Sisters of Youngstown. Today's Gospel is Matthew's account of the Passion of the Lord. Our readings today are rich. Of all of the lines in today's Gospel, the phrase that sticks with me is this, All of you will have your faith in me shaken. As Jesus and his disciples are headed to the Mount of Olives, he says those words to them, All of you will have your faith in me shaken. If you're like me, you've had your faith shaken more than once. Recent politics shakes our faith in the government. Volatility and disruption in the economy shakes our faith in the banking system. An abuse of a counter with a coach, teacher, parish priest or minister, even a spouse or other family members, shakes our faith in humanity and makes us leery to enter into relationships. What is it that will shake the disciples' faith in Jesus? What is it that will shake our own faith in Jesus? Suffering. Sure, there can be other answers, but what the disciples will experience in the next episode in the life of Jesus is his suffering. Nothing is more universal to humanity than suffering. And nothing is more difficult for humanity to understand than suffering. We are fearful of suffering. And most of all, we are repelled by the sight of it. That we suffer is the consequence of the fact that we are creatures who are self-conscious and reflective. There is a distinction between pain and suffering. Pain is an unpleasant sensory and or emotional experience. One person has pain with a hangnail. Another person experiences little pain even with a tooth abscess. Go figure. Suffering is the bearing or undergoing of some pain, distress, or injury. I am self-consciously aware of it, and the pain causes me to suffer. It is possible for the body to be in pain, but the person not to suffer. For example, anesthesia numbs the physical pain of the body, so one does not suffer. Sometimes suffering is purely physical. It is a consequence of our being finite human creatures. If I break a bone, it hurts, and I suffer with the pain until it heals. 
Sometimes suffering is our own fault. I make bad choices. I drive recklessly and so I cause an accident. I make unhealthy life choices that eventually result in sickness or disease, both of which make me suffer. I make unwise choices about my behavior that causes embarrassment to myself and to my friends and my family. The suffering of the innocent is the most difficult suffering to comprehend. Children who are abandoned or abused, those who are killed by natural disasters or random violence, non-combatants in war, all of these shake our faith. Is God with us or not? The first reading on the third Sunday of Lent asked that question. No wonder Jesus states the disciples will have their faith shaken. Who can watch the suffering of a friend, especially a friend who is so close to God, and not have their faith shaken? This is the heart of Christianity that the Church remembers today and all this Holy Week. Yes, human life includes suffering. Yes, even innocents suffer. And yes, sometimes our suffering is our own fault. But that is not the end of the story. Jesus, the Son of God, suffers. Jesus takes on human suffering. Jesus assumes the fullness of our human nature. That does not do away with suffering. Human suffering, especially the suffering of the innocent, remains a mystery. But suffering is not the end of the story. The virtue of hope awakens in the human heart, even in the midst of suffering. So even when our faith is shaken, we have hope because we know that Jesus took on suffering. Yes, we still suffer, and it is still fearful. It is difficult to explain, but as disciples of Jesus and members of the church, we continue to live in hope. For Wineskins, I am Sister Mary McCormick. Every worthwhile thing in this world has come to us through sacrifice. There really is no room in our lives for pride or for selfishness. Someone has died for our sins. All that we can do in return is quietly and gracefully take up our cross and follow Him. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda saying thank you for being with us. Have a blessed Holy Week. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.